0: the opening 30 seconds Sabrina starts reeling off the companies that within a matter of months they'd gone from not having any companies support the campaign so she just reels off Morrison's Sainsbury's Marks and Spencer's
1: Andrek you name it suddenly it just this unbelievable amount of companies supporting them light bulbs went on for me because I finally felt emotionally Mm. the power behind this concept this truth which various people had explained to me before. They've actually
0: got more cause-related partnerships. You know, when someone buys a product, money is donated to them. They've got more of them, the most established charities that I know. They've been around for four years.
1: Hello, and welcome to episode 145 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. This is the show for anyone who works in fundraising, who wants some ideas, some examples and maybe a little dash of inspiration to help you raise more money and really enjoy your job. And this is one of my favourite interviews of the year to do because, once again, I'm meeting my good friend Ben online because we're going to do one of these catch-up reviews of our podcast for the year. It's worked so well for the last couple of years, we get lovely feedback from people who say they like these highlights episodes. And thanks as always, Ben, for joining me to run through some of these episodes. You're more than welcome, Rob. I'm sitting here furiously nodding in the background because I, I can't wait to talk more about some of these episodes. Thank you. And if the listener doesn't know my colleague, Ben, he's a very experienced fundraiser. He's been doing it for many years, for a long time at the NSPCC and also for many years. He's been my colleague at Brightspot, both co-training on our Corporate Partnerships Mastery program, but also in recent years, incredibly busy going out to different charity teams and doing some of our Brightspot content for a team of fundraisers. Many of you have experienced his storytelling and influence course, as well as some other things. Those of you who like our Breakfast Club for Fundraising Leaders may have seen him very recently do a wonderful session about storytelling tactics and techniques. Or if you've done none of those things, but you listen to this podcast, then you might recognise Ben's voice from several of our episodes we've done over the years. And according to the data, they're still among the most listened to ones (laughs) of all, especially his ones on storytelling, storytelling and contrast and how to find stories and examples, even if you're in a charity where that just is trickier, it's harder work due to geography or politics or the structure of your organisation. So do check out the episodes Ben's done with me before. But for today, Ben, I wanted you to pick a couple of episodes from across 2023 that have especially stood out for whatever reason, so that we can let our listeners know that certain good learning points and also potentially to go back and listen to the full episode what's your first pick
0: thanks rob and it is hard because every episode was so good but you know my last the last 10 years of my career at the nspcc were in corporate partnerships and this episode just absolutely sung to me with sabrina and cara from beating bowel cancer uh, where they talked about the extraordinary results they got for the honor roll campaign and The the opening 30 seconds, Sabrina starts reeling off the companies that within a matter of months, they'd gone from not having any companies support the campaign. So she just reels off sort of Morrison, Sainsbury's, Marks and Spencer's, Andrek, you name it. Suddenly, it's just this unbelievable amount of companies supporting them. Um, the results of this are just are incredibly clear. And as you listen more to the episode, so it's number 132. As you listen more to the episode, you see the power of a story and the power of having somebody very bravely and openly share their own experience. So Cara doesn't work for uh, beating bowel cancer at all, does she, Rob? She's she's a, a, a volunteer, I think.
1: Yeah, that's right. She She has for many years done her best in her own time with her own energy on top of her day job working for Marks & Spencer's. She's stood up to be counted to try and help beating bowel cancer achieve its mission because she has this very personal connection to that disease.
0: And she says that I think there's two or three things I get most from this. One of them is how intelligent they have been about analysing a particular problem that people have when they have bowel cancer. So Sabrina puts it really well when she says that one of the most powerful parts of the problem is that actually bowel cancer is totally beatable if you see the symptoms early on but hardly anyone knows those symptoms and when she says totally beatable she even says on the podcast nine out of ten people will live beyond five years if they've been diagnosed early on and she says but that flips on its head the later on you know so if you don't see the symptoms then nine out of ten people will not make it past five years. And that's unbelievably powerful. But she says one of the reasons, one of the things that helps you most with your symptoms is when you're going to the toilet. And that therefore, suddenly there's this power of focus that comes from, instead of focusing on every single company in the world or every single part of the journey, they've cleverly said, specifically... It's companies that sell toilet paper or toilet paper brands. Not every single company in the world, but those sorts of companies. And the thing I love most about this is, well, Rob, just a few weeks ago, you and I were in a room with, you know, 30, 40 corporate fundraisers working through this on one of our corporate mastery days. And and you could just see that in this podcast, Sabrina and Cara have very cleverly answered one of the steps that we asked people to think through what is a problem that the people that we help have and what part of that problem could be solved if we found the right company whether that's reach whether that's advice whether that's expertise and it wasn't just Sabrina realizing this or her team realizing this it is the power of someone as passionate and as brave as Cara who having experienced bowel cancer and then beaten it and then and then she talks about another form of cancer that she's beaten realising that if she can just influence the right people at Marks and Spencer's, she can just put an idea forwards and see if the toilet paper they sell can do something to help people. And, you know, one thing I like about this is the strategy of let's focus on the companies that could make the most impact to our problem. The second thing is the power of a story. You're right, I do an awful lot of storytelling. And one of the things we talk about is is mirror neurons or that when i hear a story my brain flies off trying to find my own example my own experience my own version of that story and cara said that she first experienced bowel cancer in 2015 and she didn't really tell anyone at work she didn't really share her story it was only three or four years later that she decided to share her story not really knowing the response and she said when she shared that story suddenly people from across the organization started coming forwards either telling her their own version of how they had experienced bowel cancer or cancer or realizing that family members or people close to them had experienced bowel cancer and some of them it had been too late and others they'd got there earlier but I love the power of one person bravely sharing a story meant that bit by bit other people in Marks and Spencers started sharing theirs which ultimately would influence the chief executive, which ultimately meant that within days and weeks, Marks and Spencers changed their process to start showing sort of a symptom checker on toilet rolls. But then more amazingly than that, the CEO himself turned around, I think his name was Stuart, and he was so moved by this that he said, surely it shouldn't just be us. We should start doing this with others. And it then started rolling from there. And for me, it was just this sense of momentum. There is a there is a third bonus point that I like in this, by the way. It's quite niche, but Dame Deborah James, who sort of brought bowel cancer to the fore when she died, she was very, she was brilliant, a brilliant campaigner for it. And they talk about her and that it was at about the same time, but she wasn't part of this to begin with. She wasn't part of it at all. But there is a particular sentence that they said where it's Cara and Sabrina contact Dame Deborah James and they send her a note after this campaign has started to say, I think you'd want to know this is happening. (laughs) And then they tell her a little bit about it to see if she'd want to talk to them. Now, I love that because so often when I talk to charities, we think through an ideal company, an ideal brand, an ideal senior person or ambassador who we think would be interested in our work or a campaign we're doing, but we can't figure out how to best frame it to them. Should we talk to them before it or after it? And I love this tip. If you think of that person and you think they'd want to get behind a campaign, but you're not really sure, you certainly wouldn't want the campaign to happen and them not know about it. And I love that it just makes you a little bit braver to just say to them or to their office or as they would have done to her agent, I think you'd want to know this is happening. That sentence, I can tell you in my years as a fundraiser has certainly helped me to to influence others. But yeah, that's a niche bit of it. And ultimately you know, I think 11, 12 different supermarkets and brands got in touch with them. Andrex got in touch with them within a week. And I think Sabrina says one in three people have Andrex in their home. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's a remarkable podcast. If you're in corporate partnerships, I advise you to listen to episode one, three, two.
1: Thank you, Ben. Just before we move on, one other bit about it I love is how easy they made it for the, quote, Dream 10 ideal partners to say yes. Many of them have raised a lot of money as well, but that wasn't the first main thing they were asking for. And at that point, some senior leaders and chief execs say, no, 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 corporate fundraiser. I mean, the mission is important, but your job as a corporate fundraiser is to go and get money. So this notion of using the power of resources, expertise, skills and reach of a company gets sort of pushed to the sideline because the corporate fundraiser was told to focus on getting money first. What they've done is they've done the smart thing of used the power of companies and their wonderful reach, reputation, skills and resources and so on to help achieve the mission. And it doesn't mean you can't raise money. Because in our language, Ben, in addition to this good reason for doing it and wonderful as it is already, it's helping a lot. And it's also a wonderful excuse to have more conversations with them. Some of them are already raising money. All of them, last time I talked to Sabrina, are still partners. And that means all of them you can have more cups of coffee with. And some of them are likely to carry on doing more, including raising more money in addition to the campaigning they're doing?
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And we often talk about how hard it can feel to get meetings or conversations started with some companies who you view as a dream partner or a dream company. And this is meetings for free. You're beginning to start a relationship, start a conversation with them in a really meaningful and purpose driven way. I have heard too that many of these companies didn't just do this, they raised money and some of them are now full on partners of theirs. So it, doesn't just increase your reach to pretty much every house in the country it begins to raise money too i absolutely love it i could talk about it for another 50 minutes but i'm not sure you'll let me so i'm just interested rob that's my first one which is yours
1: okay first one that sprung to mind me was episode 133 with our good friend craig linton because it's all about what we call the top 20 rule or sometimes referred to as the 80-20 rule or even the Pareto principle. And the reason I love it is in a way it's personal, but 23 years ago when I was working hard as a fundraiser for a children's charity, people sometimes talked about this Pareto law or or this 80-20 principle. And I think they said it to me as a means of sort of try and prioritise as best you can. All things are not equal. And I would nod and smile, get back to the way I was already approaching my work and struggling to prioritise. So when I read this book a couple of years ago by Richard Koch, surname K-O-C-H, Richard Koch, called The 80 Principle, within the first chapter of reading it, light bulbs went on for me because I finally felt emotionally mm. the power behind this concept, this truth, which various people had explained to me before so for our listener i would totally understand if you've not heard this idea before but the gist is many years ago an italian economist was looking at various data to do with customers and where their profits came from or which of their products were most likely to be successful and so on and he noticed this pattern appear over and over again whereby Within any group of people, within any market, all of them are not equal. They are very definitely unequal in various ways. Almost always he found a split which was 80-20 or sometimes 79-21. The pattern recurred over and over again and you can try this out at home. I suggest to you that you do not use all of the clothes in your wardrobe Equally, if you live in the West, probably you've got quite a lot of clothes in your wardrobe. And I'm guessing that you wear maybe only 10 or 20 percent of your clothes a lot of the time, about 80 percent of the time. And there's a whole other set of clothes which you hardly ever wear, never or once or twice a year. Uh, Equally, the carpet in your living room, 20 percent of it gets walked on way more than the 80 percent of the rest of it and so on and so on. And now if we apply this to companies, in most companies, 80% of their profit comes from relatively few of their products, 20% of them, and also 80% of their profit comes from relatively few of their customers. So there's this skew. In life, in any group of people, all of them are not equal in their ability to react or respond to whatever you might be encouraging them to do or whatever you might be selling to them. Now, Richard Koch's wisdom is to use this as a strategic insight whenever he's helped companies become much more successful because he says, don't just accept that as is. Okay, well, there will always just be this unequal thing. Know who the top 20 are, either products or services or customers get super clear on that and then give way more energy to those areas or those customers in wonderful customer service or in making the product better or in developing a premium product for those customers or whatever it might be and the act of doing that is a much easier way to grow your business than if you try and be wonderfully fair and give a fair equal service to everybody. Mm. Okay, so what I loved about this episode with Craig is he showed me some really interesting ways that as an experienced individual giving fundraiser, he routinely uses this concept to increase income for charities.
0: I've heard this episode and one of the things I like most is really early on, he doesn't just give you some ideas, which later on I do love his ideas, in it, Rob? But the results he talks about are pretty remarkable of what happens when charities and when he has focused in that area. Can you remember what it was
1: like to talk to him about that? Yeah, well, for me, the most powerful bit of all was when it went wrong. And he starts off by saying, <laughs> I'll try and do the brief version of the story, but there's three particular hospices in the last few years that he's given a do- generous donation to. Uh, one of them was when a friend of his parents died, um, nowhere near where he lives, and he, he knew that person a bit, but not especially well, but because of his parents' relationship, he made a donation. It might have been 20 or £30. Pounds. Another sad situation for Craig was part of his friendship group. One of those people died. Craig gave more money to the hospice that had looked after that person. And the last bit, for Craig, is saddest of all, most emotionally difficult of all is when his dad died and on that occasion also Craig and his family made a donation to the hospice that had looked after his dad now the interesting thing Craig says to start off the episode is you can tell that those are three very different stories they're all sad stories but in terms of how Craig feels mm. about the person who he's giving on behalf of and how important that is to him emotionally to be giving, they're really different strengths. And yet, he said, the communication, the thank yous, and whether or not he received any requests or opportunities to give further to the hospice was pretty much identical for all three situations, even though common sense would suggest Craig was so much more vested in the third situation, and he was explicit on the podcast, I cared deeply about the hospice that worked so hard to look after my dad, and if they'd got it right and understood that and treated me differently rather than just, like, eight months later sent me a Christmas appeal or similar, like, he would absolutely, would have happily enjoyed being way more generous, but they hadn't understood that. Now, (laughs) Craig and I weren't intending to criticise any of those hospices. In fact, we totally get... This is one side of the story. On the other side of the story, there's a busy fundraiser who may or may not have much resource, who has many problems to solve, and I've got a set of data of people who've given in the last year. They're all going to receive some stewardship. But if you think about that story, I find it motivating to, to help us be willing to work harder at, mm. quote, segmenting. How much has someone given? Why did they give? Could we find out why they gave and therefore treat them accordingly so that it is appropriate and those that would love to have a way deeper relationship with us and a more generous one receive what they want. I, I love that. And on the episode, he gives
0: some ideas and tactics, I think, to doing that, like looking at people who've given high amounts for a long stretch of time and not even high amounts, actually, just given quite regularly for a long time rather than one-off big amounts. He says that, that they could be your your, your eighty twenty. And I, in some of the people that I've coached recently, who've been asking out of all of my donor file, Ben, and there were major gift fund, out of all of them, who should I be talking to? We did this on the phone. We, you know, they brought up their file, they had a look, and they realised that there were some people who were given five or £10,000 every year for the last eight years. And it was like, and they were, to begin with, they were quite nervous about why they might call this donor or what to say. And by the end of it, they're like, I'm going to call this donor and say, you've given us £80,000, like, thank you. And what can they do to build that relationship? And I think it, what was interesting was there were about 200 people on this fundraisers list, but that top 10%, top 20%, when you start applying some of the rules that Craig talks about, you could see them and it changed an, their confidence to get on the phone and speak to them. And I'm excited because I, th- I think it will change
1: their results too. What, what episode number was that, Rob? Can you remember? Yeah. So episode 133, Ben, and just a last couple of things really i recommend people go back and there isn't any type of fundraising where if you think deeply and take to heart the concept of the 80 20 principle or the top 20 rule there isn't any kind of fundraising where it can't help you raise more money with mm. uh, more efficiently when you really think about it but at its simplest in any group of donors one individual giving file one set of major donors, one set of trusts, one set of companies, one set of people who are signed up to do a sponsored run for you. The Pareto law says some of them can and will, if you treat them right, give a lot more, not just a bit more, a lot more than the others. The question is, can you work out which 10 or 20 percent they are? Step one. And step two, can you then decide what you can do to add more value to those relationships? At its simplest, it might be an extra thank you call before they do the run. Mm. A- an extra thank you card. You haven't got time to write a thank you card to everyone. But you, uh, at its simplest, I've got to write good luck cards or thank you cards to these 10 out of the 50 that are doing this cycling event for us. If that's all you do, it will according to the data, increase the chances that those top 20 will then enjoy giving more. One other tip, Craig says, and we don't go into this explicitly on the call, Craig said, a key way you can increase the success of any appeal you send out in individual giving is five or six weeks before the appeal by email or letter requesting funds, you do some kind of extra stewardship that doesn't ask for money, but just says, Thank you for being such a generous supporter. It could be a call. It could be, as Davinia Batley did, it become just a lovely thank you postcard that she sent out during the pandemic lockdowns. It could be any extra touch where you don't ask for something, but you just thank them for the difference they've made. If you do that six weeks before you then ask for money, you will receive more donations when you ask for money trick i like is in practice if you're doing two or three appeals a year many fundraisers might think of that and say oh we haven't got budget or time to send postcards or make calls to all of them so craig says (laughs) it's okay you don't have to do it for all of them just send it to the top 10 percent and that in and of itself you could fit that in couldn't you you could make five calls couldn't you that pragmatically many fundraisers can believe they could make time for so already you're increasing the effectiveness of the appeal without necessarily having all the resources to do extra stewardship for everyone in that donor file i love it rob hey there it's rob and i wanted to quickly let you know about our two flagship training programs that's the major gifts mastery program and the corporate partnerships mastery program to give you a sense of the difference they can make Here's a really quick bit of feedback we received recently from Asia Parekh, who took part in our most recent corporate mastery programme. This is my first corporate fundraising position. I've never corporate fundraised before. I rely quite heavily on the things that Rob taught. Since being on the programme, the charity has managed to turn over 10 partnerships. We started off with one, While I was on the course with Rob, that one turned into six, and now it's turned into ten. For the charity, the partnerships are worth around £10,000 each, and at ten we have a total of £100,000 coming in. I would really, really recommend the programme. Absolutely do it. It's worth every penny, and I'm really, really grateful for having been on it. To find out more about either Corporate Partnerships Mastery or the Major Gifts Mastery programme, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services and if you have any questions please do get in touch but for now let's get back to my conversation with ben do you know the other podcast that i love
0: by the way is number 138 with ben acres
1: yes but i even now i still remember the the energy coming through this computer at me when i spoke to ben and apart from anything else we called it doing things differently because we get lots of people with great stories to share on this podcast. But truly, Ben's approach is different to most people I talk to. And he has this outsider advantage. And several times he said, Rob, I'm not a fundraiser. I've spent you know 20 or 30 years as an advertiser. I think like an advertiser. I still don't consider myself expert at fundraising. But I do know these two or three things I've done are a major reason why talk club has grown so much so ben over to you could could you top line explain what the charity is and a couple of things that stood out to you from the episode
0: you know for me I think you've just put it really well. Ben is an advertiser and it shines through the way he talks and what he set up. There are some niche things I like about it, about the fact that he, as as any good advertiser, he becomes very clear on who his target market is. Who is it that my charity has been set up to try and help? Who are the sorts of companies and people that would most want to share that story? And he is ruthless with that. So that's one of the things. And then the second thing is his purpose, his reason why he sets up this charity is unbelievably strong. So the story starts, sadly, when Ben's best friend growing up at school killed himself. Ben found that out in a totally different country and he said it was the first time he'd ever experienced suicide or understood what it was like. And the more he explored it, the more he realized far too few men talk about their feelings and it's assumed that they're doing okay. And he creates this charity called Talk Club, which he said is it's like a gym, but for your mind. And it's a chance to get to help men talk. But what's really clear is he knows his target market. It's men, it's men, it's men. And it runs right through. If you hear him speak, he first of all, he says, we've got loads of volunteers from local community groups. He says, but we don't call them volunteers. They're called captains with us. And that made me think of, you know, captains, football captains, sports team captains. And yeah, I'm stereotyping a bit here. In advertising, you've got to stereotype. But that's something that he says, number one, the language he uses is more likely to connect to his audience. He talks about being part of a community, a positive community. He calls it a mental fitness gym. Um, And then he says that we went to where men were. So in their attempts to try and reach more men, they didn't try and do it through PDFs or other things. He went to where they were. He went to pubs. He went to places that sell alcohol. And even though he says and he admits, you know, a pub is often where someone will go if they are depressed. It's not somewhere that's particularly always thought of as healthy for your mental and physical health. He said, that is where our audience is. So when he creates he creates this incredible film about the, his friend's life and about why talk club has been created. And he doesn't launch it online on social media in other, any other way. He launches it in pubs going up and down the country with a pint talking to men because he's absolutely clear. This is how I'm going to speak to my audience when you think about it. But how ruthless are we all at that times? His His ability to be this ruthless means that they are only four years old and they've gone from having one talk club, one community group, to 78 now across different countries in the world as well. They've actually got more cause-related partnerships. You know, when someone buys a product, money is donated to them. They've got more of them, the most established charities that I know. They've been around for four years. And one of my favourite ones, well, you can guess... If you were thinking through where men were, pubs, what they seem to drink and what affects their mood, alcohol, and it can link to depression. He starts talking to Bristol Beer Factory, talking to them about, actually, let's produce your first ever non-alcoholic beer. And Talk Club get 5% of sales. And he said that they sell out so quickly, they can't make it quickly enough. And that actually the proceeds from that can have now meant that he's been able to recruit someone who then goes on to raise more money and help more men. And I love when you talk to him, he is utterly determined. I know my target market and it will not just change my language, but it will change how I talk to them. I'll keep it simple. He said in advertising, he was told if you throw one ball to someone, they can catch it. If you throw five balls at them, they'll catch nothing. He said, I had to make sure that what I was saying was simple, simple and clear and quick to get through to them. And so literally, he says, the, I think he says on the podcast, his leaflet that he hands out, that he's printed 4,000 of these leaflets that have gone on to help thousands and thousands of men. It's in black and white. It's really simple language. It's really clear. It's a very easy thing to be part of. Um, and one of my other favorite things, Rob, is if you combine this stuff Ben has an incredible sense of purpose. He learnt about suicide and doesn't want other men to feel it. He also is very, very clear on his target market, on who he wants to go for. And what that has given him is a sense of belief and certainty and motivation. There's a part where he says to you, Rob, I didn't wait for the phone to ring, I went after them. Like, and you say his why, is one of the reasons that he must get his mission done. Like he's not reactive. He thinks through who is it that I'm gonna go after and then he just goes for them. He said, we've got a brand that's doing good. What I am gonna govern that brand to do something, make money and grow awareness from it. And I just absolutely love that he does that. And uh, I know I've been talking for a while, but one other thing is on our mastery courses, especially the corporate one, we help someone focus down their pipeline, You know pick your top 10 companies based on this target market based on who you are based on what you want to try and do and he's and, and often we say there's four questions we use we say, you can overthink this. I bet in a pub with your friend, you could probably pick who those 10 are. And then I love that at one point he says, well, I I thought these things through and then I asked Sam, my friend, who should we go for? And then they just go for them. And one by one, they start getting these conversations in to the point that now companies do talk to them. And he said, what he does is use the essence of his charity to build a relationship with those companies. So if someone gives them a donation, He then says, as a thank you, can I come and give a speech to your audience to help them be aware of their mental health? And then when he comes and gives the speech, he then says, as another thank you, can I set up a talk club here? And he said, I'm what you just said, Rob, about dripping value, 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 value. Like it screams in this podcast episode, ideas to help you think through... Who am I going after? Why am I going after them? And then if I am in touch with them, what can I send them? What can I do that the signals sent to them are, this is value added to you, this will help you. It doesn't surprise me that he's growing. And I I saw him talk at the Chartered Institute of Fundraising. And you're right, he was the only non-fundraiser, I think on the day standing and talking in this way, but it was extraordinary. He is a brilliant presenter. He's also done a TED talk. Yeah, I, I I would listen to this podcast.
1: So thank you, Ben. That's episode 138. If our listeners would like to go and listen to that one, just one last two penny worth from me. It's just, again, drawing the parallel to the first one that you suggested, Ben. In many charities, the leadership see the corporate fundraiser as a person whose job it is to go and ask companies for money, bring the money back in so we can pay for the good work that saves some people's lives or does some good work. And in both these examples you've said, they've seen it in a more enlightened way, which is that, yes, a wonderful thing about great corporate partnerships is income to pay for our stuff, but sometimes even more valuable is not even the money. And in the first example you shared, Sabrina talks about real examples of people who had the toilet paper with the messaging about symptoms to look out for, when you're going to the loo that might be cause for concern. And as a result, they talked to their GP and they got it checked out and they knew what to do. And so it was early diagnosis, potentially a life saved. And just as a perfect symmetry to that, Ben talks about someone who bought a pack of Clearhead Beer, their partnership with Bristol Brewery. And they said, oh, what's this talk club? Well, we should do that. And they set up a talk club after buying the non-alcoholic beer so more men are getting access to this wonderful support and then potentially lives are saved.
0: I love that Rob and you've reminded me of the one sentence the unexpected bit of the problem that he says is at his age with his gender the thing that's most likely to kill him is him and he starts his talk with this incredibly powerful point which cuts through all of this and
1: yeah yeah, it's it's a brilliant episode. So Ben thank you so much for making time to have this chat inevitably there's a couple more we would love to share so if we can fit it in let's do one more episode similar to this so we can talk about those extra couple but for now i hope our listener has got lots of good ideas a anyway and b an episode they might want to make time to go back and listen to again but for now Ben, thank you so much for making time to chat, and I'll look forward to catching up with you very soon to make another one of these episodes. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Rob. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to my chat with Ben. If so, and you think it would help other people too, please do share it on so we can help as many hardworking fundraisers and important causes as we can. I really appreciate your help spreading the word. We'll put links to the episodes we talked about, as well as a full transcript, in the show notes in the podcast section of our website. And if you'd like to find out more about our two flagship programs, that's the Corporate Partnerships Mastery Programme and the Major Gifts Mastery Programme, which have now helped hundreds and hundreds of fundraisers to grow income over the last 10 years. We're currently offering an early bird discount on places for the next intake, which starts in April, 2024. Or if you're interested in some bespoke in-house training for your team or Ben's Corporate Partnerships Next Level service, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. Finally, I know there's a good chance you've already subscribed to this show, but if not, please do hit that button now so that you never miss an episode. Do let us know what you think. On Twitter, Ben is at Ben Swart and I am at Woods underscore Rob and we're both on LinkedIn thank you so much for listening and supporting our show this year good luck with your fundraising and i can't wait to share more bright spot stories with you very soon